Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rainbow. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 398. Coming to you on Wednesday, January 13th. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, Omni, wherever you can download a podcast, we are there. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansetted.com. And our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Suck at what's burn show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola, here in the L.A. Reign of Troy. I don't know what I'm doing. Hello, everybody. As opposed to the not L.A. Reign of Troy studio. What, what am I doing? Joining me is my co-host in the Red Troy studio in Los Angeles, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I. Gee, it's hasn't been that long since we recorded. Uh, I know we're a day late. We had technical issues. We're a day late. We had technical issues, and then had more technical issues. <laughs> so at least we got those sorted out right as we were recording. At but least we hope. We, we hope. We, we hope we can uh, get this through. Uh, uh, we, we will see what happens, uh, whether or not uh, our audio will sound uh, better than Ohio State's performance against Alabama on uh, on Monday night. That is uh, something that we strive for, to be better than Ohio State. Yeah, this is true. Um, what, what are your thoughts, uh, Alabama, winning the national championship? Uh, they're sixth in 12 years, your, your, your opinion. I think it's incredibly impressive what Nick Saban has done with Alabama uh, to the point where I can't think of a better college football head coach in the history of college football. No. In terms of just longevity, in terms of being able and willing to transition through so many different eras of college football, uh, even micro eras of college football, uh, Nick Saban has gone from vanilla offenses run by Greg McElroy to highly explosive offenses run by Greg McElroy's cousin, Mac Jones. I, I think that's the most impressive thing for yeah. me is that <laughs> it's not just like, uh, you know, they're running the same thing over and over and over again and they're beating you the same exact way and just no one has an answer. No, he has completely changed his outlook in so many different ways this is an entirely fundamentally different team now than it was then because ad- adapt or, or lose. That, that's basically what it is. And Nick Saban has basically said that himself. Uh, and Nick Saban has adapted better than anybody. Every time right. people write off Alabama as this is the end of the dynasty, he turns around and figures it out. And it's it's pretty darn incredible what he's been able to achieve uh, from from the player development standpoint, from the recruiting standpoint, from the turnover of head coaches like you're supposed to see a decline in the dynasties Pete Carroll had this problem at USC is brain that drain, yeah. The, the yeah brain drain the turnover of head coaches Nick Saban has solved uh, that problem coaches. of assistant coaches yeah. but he solved that problem you know he re he, he, he has become the master of rehabilitating failed head coaches and do you know why that's genius because you don't become a head coach in college football unless you were really good at your job to begin with unless you're Clay Helton but that's an aside he have rehabilitated Lane Kiffin, who was a brilliant offensive mind, and he's rehabilitated uh, Steve Sarkeesian, who was a brilliant off- offensive mind to start with. And he's just he has a, an eye for what success looks like and what the demands of success are. It's incredible. I have a take here. I'm curious your thoughts. I think that what Nick Saban is doing in Alabama more impressive than what Wooden did at UCLA. 
And the reason I agree. The reason is because of all these things. Yeah. Um. You know what? What Wooden did at UCLA was incredible. Never ever going to be repeated. But he did that in an era before TV money, before um, scholarships were what they are now, um, before the modern game, and before all these things. Right. Um. The the what UCLA basketball was in the 1960s is way different what basketball is now. Right. It's a completely different game. And so. Nick Saban's ability to change on the fly, to adapt, to be able to do literally everything, beat teams with X's and O's, beat teams with physicality, beat teams with better players, beat teams um, that they lost to before and then come back and beat them again. Like a million different things he's done um, with completely different personnel, different types of personnel. Uh, Never in a million years did you think that Alabama would have an athletic quarterback until they did, until they got Jalen Hurts, could, and then you're like, well, how did they ever function before this? Would you have ever guessed that the first Heisman wide receiver of this century would have played for Alabama? No, I mean, and you know, they had Julio Jones back at the beginning, but it's not like um, it's not like what Julio Jones was doing is comparable to Desmond Howard. Like, yeah. Julio Jones was a, was a great wide receiver in Alabama, a hundred percent, but. Great wide receivers don't win the Heisman Trophy mm-hmm. unless you're far and away the best player on the field and having a million different ways to impact the game. And, and that's you're what Devontae Smith is. And you're done. in an offense that allows you to... Yeah. Julio Jones in this offense could have also won the Heisman too, but like right. it takes this kind of offense to do it. And for Alabama to have now produced... You, know, you expect the Alabama running backs to be in the Heisman conversation. To have the Alabama wide receiver win the Heisman is is just it shows that the change in mindset and the willingness to to adapt that uh, that that is the reason why Alabama continues to dominate college football. Yeah, and you look at Mac Jones, compare him to the other um quarterbacks um the the other game managers uh game manager type guys that Alabama's had. Your your Jake Cokers your um, your McElroys, your McCarran, yeah, all those guys. Not only is Mac Jones, uh, you know, probably not going to end up being uh, as hyped for the NFL as, as two and all those guys, but he's able to get insane amount of production, and, and like that's the crazy thing. It's like literally everything has changed about this team. But it's also. I mean, uh, and and this is a to swing this back a little bit towards USC. Yeah, you watch Mac Jones in that offense, and you think to yourself, like this is this is what my, Matt Leinart was with USC. He has yeah. ages back there to throw, and when you give your quarterback, when you give a competent quarterback ages to throw like that, and you put those weapons on the field for him, all he has to do is not make mistakes, and I think that's what Mac Jones has done really, really well. But like, that's. They're getting that kind of production out of a quarterback who all they're asking him to do is just right. not make mistakes. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, you know, you talk about the great teams of uh, the college football, uh, 1995 Nebraska, 2001 Miami, 2004 SC, um, uh, 1972 SC, like these great iconic teams, 1984 Penn State, whatever it is, um, in college football. And you and I had the discussion the other day that back at the early part of the the Nick Saban dynasty in Alabama, I think that absolutely you could say 2004 USC would beat 2009 Alabama. Mm-hmm. Would would you know probably beat 2011 Alabama? I I, I don't think 2004 SC uh, uh, they're not a favorite against. <laughs> 2020 Alabama, they're yeah. not. This is the- and, and because you look at the – how do you beat Alabama? You have to have a dynamic quarterback and a dynamic offense and be able to beat them in a shootout. Yeah. The only way you can beat them. You look back at how all the losses Alabama has fared in the last, you know, four or five years, it's been because of a dynamic quarterback that has beaten them in a shootout. SC it, it has never had that. Well, and that, this was the, the the conversation that I was sort of having af- after watching that game. And I don't want it to turn into, you know, recency bias. And I don't want it to turn into um, hyperbole. but uh, not, not hyperbole. Not hyperbole. Not hyperbole. Um, 
But like I was watching that team and thinking to myself, like this is the first time I I would sit here and think I'm not certain Pete Carroll's best team would beat this team. Right. And that might be uh, that might be because this Alabama team didn't face the level of this was a strange season. The game has changed. The game has changed. Maybe maybe the 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 competition wasn't you know Alabama. I mean Ohio State was was dealing with some major personnel problems as far as um guys that, that that weren't available to them and all of that kind of stuff so maybe i like i don't want to i don't want to hype this up to a degree that like definitely this team would trounce the best usc team of of the Pete carroll era but like i am not certain that i would put you know the, the if pete went against saban at this stage with these teams, I'm not sure that he comes out on top. And that's the first right. time I've really been uncertain about uh, that confidence that I have in the Pete Carroll uh, USC sort of era. That's how impressive this team, the, 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 I guess how impressive this dynasty has become to me. Yeah. And I think it's sad that we didn't get to see what uh, SC would be. And what was this Nick Saban's what, 14th year, 13th year at Alabama yeah. or whatever. We, we didn't get to see what, Year we've 13, gotten 15 14, years 15 of Pete Carroll. years yeah. into Pete Carroll's uh, reign at USC, what that would look like. Um, especially because the way he left, I think it's easy to assume that it was over, right? You know, you had had the brain drain. You had lost Ed Ogeron. You had lost um, Norm Chow. You had lost so well, many Kif- guys. Kiffin and Sark and every yeah. every – Subsequent uh, offensive coordinator and all, every subsequent defensive coordinator, Nick, you know, Nick Rocky Holt and Seto was like Rocky, the defensive coordinator. Yeah, at the end, yeah, right? at the like, end. So things can completely change, and Pete Carroll had not shown a willingness to go outside of the box and bring in fresh blood. Well, but now also you have to wonder the stories we have heard about that era of USC. It's not like they were investing a ton of money into the football program sure, to begin yeah. with. So. Um, you know, would would Pete have fallen behind just in the the arms? Would would the natural USC fallen behind in the arms race thing have happened regardless, or would Pete have been the impetus for making sure that USC didn't fall behind as far in the arms race as they did? I wouldn't have been surprised if SC would have just become the West Coast Oklahoma, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that SC as as an athletic department doesn't keep investing like like what we know USC to be, right? Yeah. Um and then Pete Carroll has trouble um, you know, staffing because this was a problem that we saw at USC. Uh obviously he goes to the NFL and we've seen him staff up a couple of times and he yeah. and he's had success there. So maybe things completely change. Maybe if he comes back in twenty ten, everything completely changes. But I, I wouldn't be surprised that if SC was just gonna be a Ten and two, sometimes a one loss team that gets in the playoff, but maybe not at the level of Alabama. Right. I, I don't I don't know. But I wish that we could see it. I yeah. wish we could have we could have seen it out at least. It would be fascinating to talk about. And and none of this is to be Spurch, be Carroll and anything that he's accomplished. It's just like insane what Nick Saban has done. Nick Saban has done, like I said, I think it's more impressive than than what John Wooden did at, at UCLA, which is the the pinnacle of domination in American sports. Yeah, like like that's it. Six titles over twelve years is more important is a bigger accomplishment than the Islanders and the Oilers winning four in a row uh, Stanley Cups. You know. Yeah, and I mean? then and then you throw in the seventh title with LSU, and yep. you're talking about a coach who has been successful at the college level. Um, through so many different iterations of teams, he's just he's just got it figured out. And uh, I I tweeted this while we were watching the game. Like, man, watching Alabama is jealousy inducing pain. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. Like, I thought I sat back and thought to myself, like, is this what it was like to be a fan of of like other teams watching USC play? During the Carroll era, and that in that uh, you know when when USC was always really great and out of conference games, like is that what but it was like watching those teams? It, yeah, but double the length of it, and just like just like the awe of how are they this good, and how can how can you know my team compete with something like that? I think is something that a lot of people around the country are asking themselves uh, th- th- this week. Like I'm, sh- I know the Pac-12 is asking themselves, like how does the Pac-12 get there because that mountain looks incredibly tall right now well the the interesting thing is i think that there's perspective here because 
we talked about it before, there's only three teams in America that can compete at that level. Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And what do you see? You, you saw Clemson get their ass kicked Clemson's by Alabama. Clemson's not infallible. I mean, Ohio State. Ohio State's and not Ohio infallible. State get their ass kicked by Alabama. So, like, even within those those three teams, there can be disparity from year to year because we've seen Clemson lay the wood on Alabama a couple of years back. So there, there's even disparity there. But those three teams a mile ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I think you can look at it and say it's insanely depressing that no one else can come close to them. But I also think you can look at it from the apathetic perspective of, well, no one else is coming close to them either. Yeah. Right? Like like both of those perspectives kind of exist. One, you need it to fu- fuel you. The other one, you need to, to look at it and say, I don't think there's any shame in being at that level that Notre Dame and Oklahoma are at. Yeah. But... How do you close that gap? Is it's demoralizing? To well, think about. the demoralizing thing for USC is that right. USC should it's not be, even on that. USC level. is not even at Notre Dame and Oklahoma, right. and 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 I think that USC. I think if we're talking about USC expectations, I think it's reasonable to sit back and say that USC should be in at least the Oklahoma, uh, Notre Dame, Georgia, Georgia tier where yes. you aspire to being in that top tier and if maybe if things go right one year you get there but like I think it's unreasonable to turn around and say like yeah USC should be on Alabama's level like that 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 happens you know every, rarely like you don't you don't 99% of schools out there don't have that kind well, of firepower I, did, did I mention it last week like even Ohio State it, we, we put them in that group mm-hmm. and how long did they go without a playoff win six yeah. years yeah right and Urban Meyer, it's not like he was winning a national title every, every year, year. Yeah. At, at Ohio State. There were many years he didn't make the playoff. Well, well, and that's and that's one of the things why you know there will pe- be people on Twitter or even our listeners screaming right now. If USC hired Urban Meyer, they would get. Well, I don't even know that. I don't. I. I Urban Meyer is not at Nick Saban's level, and uh, you know I think USC cares about football less than Clemson. So like that's uh, the, the these are sort of part of the uh, part of the the scenario there, but. At the very least, USC should have a head coach, whether we're talking Urban Meyer or, or you know, some other up and comer who um, has this program competing with the Lincoln Rileys and the Brian Kellys of the world for that fourth playoff spot, for that coin flip of a, right. of a, of a playoff matchup. And USC isn't there. USC's not even... USC is not even at like Cincinnati's level right now where they're getting left out of the playoff and we have the conversation about it. Like USC is, 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 you know, they're a step below that. USC is in the conversation for maybe winning the Pac-12 every year, which should not be the conversation that USC is necessarily having. USC should be a, you win the Pac-12 and you're making your argument for the playoff. Yeah. Um, I, I think SC should be in a shared dynasty with Oregon for the Pac-12. Yeah. Win the win the Pac-12 every other year with Oregon. Like you and like you you just go back and forth. SC and Notre Dame should be having epic battles every year right Absolutely, now. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Like you should look at SC's schedule and be like SC and Oregon, I got to watch that. Yeah. That's going to be a matchup of top 10 teams. And USC and Notre Dame, Dame it's going to be top, top 5 teams. Like yeah. you if those things existed, like theoretically, you could look at it completely different. Theoretically, right? theoretically, every year the USC Notre Dame game should be a game where you look at it goes whoever wins this is in the playoff. Yeah, and the same thing with the Oregon game. Yeah, it should be the same thing. Yeah, but it's not, and that's an indictment of USC. That's an indictment of the Pac-12. Um, that's an indictment of, of of a lot of different things. But you know, I think I think you use the Alabama thing as motivation. Because eventually Nick Saban's going to retire. There is going to be maybe not a uh, a void that needs to be filled because Alabama will still be very good. But the domination will eventually end and somebody's going to have to be there to to compete for the, the, the free for all that's going to happen. The the Game of Thrones, uh, if you will, <laughs> that's going to have the War of the Roses or whatever. Wait, uh, wait, what, what's the... What's the equivalent of, of Bran ended up as, as the king? The cultural uh, spoiler alert. Oregon um, State becoming <laughs> national title winners. I don't know. Yeah. Or no, Oregon State getting getting Nick Saban. Yeah, mm, whatever, mm, something yeah. like that. Anyways, um, I am in awe of you and well, and me, I guess. Of I said. Man, I don't know if we can get 20 minutes out of this How podcast. How many times? We've got nothing to talk about. This is the the skimpiest rundown we've had. 
Um, and yet here we are, uh, 19 minutes into this podcast, and we've yet to take a break. Uh, which before we get to that break, we want to talk to you about what we're doing here at Reign of Troy. Um, in the off season, uh, we talked about it last week. Tuesdays, we're going to drop new episodes, and here we are, back to back weeks, dropping a Wednesday episode. So clearly, we have our things well, in mean, order, technically, and and with everything else. Okay, the the playoff being on a Monday night, kind of this this week was disordered as a result. So yes, you know. but it's anyways. Uh, the the point is, uh, we're coming up to to you guys with a full episode every week, along with every other week over on Patreon, a bonus episode every Friday. That means this Friday is the first one we're doing a only Skinnect episode based on the 2012 season. How much do you really the 20, remember the 2020 season? 2020 season. I don't want to have to do 2012 season only Skinnect. Not gonna lie. Sorry. I mean, I mean, we we do have unfinished finished business in only Skinnect. <laughs> yeah, 2020. Yeah, it's the TT. The 20 T. 2020s. There's the double 20, double the double twelve. Du- like they're the double. Yeah, it's the repeat. Yeah. Anyways, 20, 2020. Over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troys where you can get all of our bonus episodes. Uh, so look for that on Friday. But then next week, our full episode is going to be the Roddy's episode. How excited are you? It's a, it's a, it's a annual tradition it's unlike an annual tradition that any I don't other. It's we've done the last two years. I think we didn't do one last year because well, it's back, no one baby. wanted that. But yeah, we're back. We're back with the Roddy's. Uh, super excited about it. Uh, the Roddies are the Reign of Troy Awards. Uh, we're going to do those next week. Uh, if you are uh, joining us over on Patreon, uh, this is your opportunity to have a say. Uh, Alicia and I will be two-thirds of the voting pool to vote on the Roddies. The final third is going to be over on Patreon with our patrons uh, getting to vote. We're going to put up ballot uh, at some point in the next few days uh, over on Patreon, so look for that. And then you'll be able to have your say on things like who wins the Reign of Troy MVP, mm-hmm. which will be more prestigious than the Nickelodeon MVP. I'll tell you that. Yes. Well, we hope. I don't know. One, maybe one would hope. Maybe Mitchell Trubisky will come out of nowhere and win our our Reign oh of Troy MVP. Oh dear. Anyways, uh, we got news to get to as well. We'll get to, to that in just a sec. USC has yet another player going into the College Football Hall of Fame. There's none other than the 2002 Heisman Trophy winner, Carson Palmer. Uh, Troy Polamalu was the last to be inducted two years ago in 2019. He was 44. Carson Palmer is 45. Which leads to question to who will be 46. I don't know. But... Congratulations to Carson Palmer, uh, fully deserved to get in there as a uh, Heisman Trophy winner, All-American in 2002. Yeah, uh, the, the only reason he's waited this long is because he had a long NFL career that uh, that uh, delays the, induc- the induction just like Troy Palomalu. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the two linchpin players to that great 2020, uh, <laughs> I'm doing the same thing you did, <laughs> the great 2002 team <laughs> was uh, is now rightfully in the Hall of Fame, and uh, I think it was a sort of a no-brainer kind of decision. But uh, it, it does raise the, the question, like you did, who's number 46? I think we need to start having the Reggie Bush conversation. Yes, um, absolutely. Reggie Bush should be in there. Um, I know that Mark Carrier is up for it every time the, the ballot goes around and um, there's a, cu- a couple of other guys that are that are up for yeah. it every time. Matt Leinert's already in. Leinert's in, Palmer's uh, in, Palmer's in. A, a couple of other P. Carroll guys I wouldn't be surprised to get in. Sam Baker, yeah. Taylor Mays, guys uh, who have accolades. Ray Maluga. Ray Maluga, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Jarrett, I, I think, would be an interesting one. Two-time All-American. He has a bunch of USC records. Yeah. Could see him getting in there. After that, I, I think that... I don't know. I mean, if you want to go back to that 2002 team, then uh, Grudigan. <laughs> I don't know that Grudigan is... Get him in is there. A, 
I don't know that Grudigan is is going to get to. Why not? There, there's some there's some uh, national award winning uh, Trojans She's out there. She's all American. Yeah, but all American is just the minimum. Uh, get him in there. Which, by the way, I'll get on my soapbox right now, and and I think the College Football Hall of Fame's criteria is all wrong, and uh, I get that you want to have criteria to, to sort of make it easier on yourself, but also the, the some of the the requirements are just quite annoying uh because so much of it is political as far as like who gets the 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 all-american votes in any particular year um case keenum owns all of the NCAA records for passing and he's ineligible for the hall of fame because he was never on all-american um i mean that my major major soapbox has to do with coaching uh, in order to be eligible for the hall of fame you have to have coached 10 years in in college football Pete Carroll's coach nine years, so you're telling me that uh, Pete Carroll is not a Hall of Famer? Like, that's some BS, so that's so fine. The the way I look at it, I, I think that if you were a coach less than 10 years and you were even in the discussion, that should add weight to, right? to, to what you're doing. Right. At, at the same point, I kind of like the criteria. The, the like, I, I, know thing- that, I know that it sucks for Pete Carroll, uh, and that if Pete Carroll wants to get in the College Football Hall of Fame, he's going to have to, like... Spend a year at San Jose State yeah, but after he Pete retires Car- or something Pete like Carroll that. Pete Carroll can come back for one year and go winless, 0-12, and he'd still make the Hall of Fame. So, right. like, what even is the point of that? No, I have I, a, Have a minimum games it. requirement or something like that. Have it, You have to have coached 100 games. But even games. if it was a minimum games, there's someone who would be screwed by you. Know right, what I mean? but that's why I'm saying the, these arbitrary— I'm kind of okay with, with having these, these things, though, because not that, not that I care overwhelmingly. I really don't. But like the the stupid discussions that happen in the NFL when people are like, yeah, but Sterling Sharp, you know, Sterling Sharp like had this great career, and you know, you compare him to Calvin Johnson, or you, you yeah, compare but him you to, should to be able Terrell to... Davis, and all that. Like, at least you don't have those type of discussions so because you, it's clear. So you'd rather leave someone like Pete Carroll out of. Let's assume that Pete Carroll stays in the NFL and retires and doesn't come back to college football, right? You're you'd rather have Pete Carroll not be in the Hall of Fame than to occasionally have to have a discussion about someone stupid about whether or not they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. No, because I, I think that you change the criteria. I don't I, I like that there is criteria. I don't mind there being criteria, but the criteria is ten dumb. years I think is a little too long because of what we know about college football coaches. And yes. College football coaches tend to go to the NFL uh, at times if they're really successful. Yes. Right. So I think that you you could lower that to like eight years, and you would be fine. Yeah. And it's not just about Pete Carroll. I think just in general. Yeah. Um. I I get that you want your college football coaches to be tenured guys who are around forever. Your your Bo Schembechlers, your Woody Hayes's. I I get that, and I agree. In theory, it'd be great if your your, you know, Bob Stoopses were here that spent twenty years at a school. But right. but that's just not always realistic. Um, the NFL does exist, unfortunately. So, you know, I, I, I lower it to eight years and uh, change it to where, um, I mean, the all American thing, I, I get it, but change it to where it's the all American or an NCAA record. Yeah. Something you know? like that. Or change the, the breadth of the all American cause it's only the five selectors. Right. Acknowledge more selectors. I don't know. Whatever, whatever it is. See, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. Because then do you start, you know, uh, what I mean, you see this with USC. SC now acknowledges a lot of media uh, things, collegefootballmadness.com, yeah. whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, and that will get you on the plaque. I think that I, I almost wonder if com had an all-American team, uh, <laughs> would it be acknowledged? I, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. But. Maybe this is an idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Like, like you open a slippery slip, and then right. how do you decide at least the the five rigid ones, the AFCA, the the FWAA, the AP, like the sporting, like those have always been set in stone. That I'm okay with those being the okay. Five. Okay, so here's an argument. Here's just to get into the minutia of all of this. So sure. in order in order to be on the ballot, you have to be submitted by the school. So it's like the, an Emmy situation. Yeah. So, like, why don't you just put a limitation on the number of 
candidates each school. I don't even know if there is a limit at this point, but like like, okay, for instance, if you take away the all-American requirement, your USC is still going to submit, you know, however many players they're going to submit each year. And like chances are most of them are going to be all-Americans, but like USC could submit someone random or whatever, whoever could submit like it wouldn't really hurt. You wouldn't have particularly less candidates if you said each school could only submit two and or three or whatever it is. And the school decides if you had a limit on the number that the school could go, I could see it because then you're like, well, there's nobody at Kent State that I want to put in. You know, you could just ignore those. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you know, but also it would allow you to have, you know, historic coaches or whatever, at least have the art. I'm not saying that, like, you know, Hal Mummy needs to be in the Hall of Fame, but right. if, if you wanted to submit his name and let the voters have that conversation, then have that conversation. Um, I think there's better ways to do this than you have to have all been All-American or you have to have been a, uh, a you know, a, a coach or whatever. I think to to a certain degree... Hall of Famers, you just know who is, and like. sure, yeah, and but the other thing is what constitutes a Hall of Famer too, because you have the 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 discussion of production versus impact, right? And I think that's the interesting thing about college football is college football is such an interesting game, especially from a coaching perspective. The coaches who have the most impact are not necessarily the ones that have the most production. Case in point. Um, we were having this discussion the other day at Rich Rodriguez and Mike Leach. How uh, Mummy, you mentioned too, right? June Jones. These are incredibly influential coaches that have, you know how many national titles they have between all of them? Zero. But they're, in, you know, they're, they're incredible coaches who have, have had a lasting impact on the last 20 years plus of college football. Right, but there's like a there's a balance More so than anyone else. But there's a balance between those guys and, you know, the impact versus actual prestige and all that kind of stuff that I think you have to weigh. Personally, I wouldn't put Rich Rod or or, or those guys in the in the hall because you do need to have a certain level level of success. Right. Um and and that your success that, broadens your impact. To balance it out. Right, but I think we should be having the debate. Have the debate. I I you know, Luckily for for those guys, outside of Hal Mummy and and June Jones, like you can talk about you know their ability to to get in there because they do meet most of the criteria. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation. Congratulations to Carson Palmer uh, for getting in there for USC. I thought it was interesting that you know Palmer's able to get in there. Uh, and and I put this on Twitter. I don't think anyone could have the career that Carson Palmer had today. Where he comes up as a phenom as a freshman, um, he takes SC to an eight and four record, and you feel good about him as, as in the first year. Second year, you feel really good about him at the beginning of the year, and then all of a sudden he, he breaks his collarbone in a heartbreaking loss to Oregon. Um, nearly gets Wally Pip, but doesn't. Wins back the job. Two thousand and, and two thousand one were disappointing seasons for him. Uh, a lot of hype. Uh, he had, you know. Not really a good offensive line in front of him. The 2000 team was was awful. 2001 got a little bit better, surely, but but still, um, more to be desired from someone who had a was much ballyhooed coming out of high school. And then 2002, everything comes together. You got Norm Chow, you got Mike Williams, uh, you got this offense that, that's loaded with, with veteran receivers like Kareem Kelly, and he's able to have a, a magnificent, iconic season. Uh, and win the Heisman Trophy, I don't think anyone in America would be given the luxury to fail, to come back from injury, to work things out, to 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 wait for a coach that 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 mends, uh, uh, that, that gels with what they they need to do, um, like Carson Palmer. And, and I don't say this is an indictment on oh the game should go back to how it was back when I was a kid. Like I'm not saying that in that kind of way. More so in just in awe. Of how the game has changed. Well, he's, you you he, look at JT Daniels, right? Yeah. JT Daniels was never went to SC with the intentions of transfer. Well, JT, but the situation changed. JT, right? JT might be the closest down the line kind of candidate for the Carson Palmer but he career. Transferred. Except he, this is the new era where you you can't you know you're Joe Burrow you you transfer and then you have your moment. Uh, you're Justin Fields you transfer and then you have your moment. You're JT Daniels and you transfer and he's probably going to have his moment. 
But it's just proof that, you know, don't write guys off too early. I mean, you see this in in a lot of different places. Sometimes growing pains, particularly with quarterbacks, are necessary. And uh, that's the the beauty of when uh, things seem to click for a quarterback or click for, you know, an athlete. Sometimes they have to work their way through, you know, don't write off Ronald Jones after one one week season. He's he can come around, you know, those just little moments where uh, guys theoretically get better. Plus, this was a different era of um, college football where uh, the recruiting camps weren't there for, for quarterbacks. I, I have to imagine that if Carson Palmer was around today that he would have gotten either Wally Pipped or, you know, with the struggles uh, in the year 2000, even with a bad team, I could absolutely see a situation where, you know, the, there's another up-and-coming five-star. And, yeah. and there wasn't another up-and-coming five-star on the roster for SC to make those changes. Yeah. But luckily, he was able to stick with it. He was able to, you know, get some rope and put together a hell of a season. Yeah, um, as, as a senior, yeah. yeah. So, kudos to him. It was it was great watching him as a kid uh, win that Heisman, and now as a Hall of Famer, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool for number three. Um, other news: USC offensive coordinator Graham Harrell, someone who uh, I don't think is eligible for the Hall of Fame either. I don't think he was. Hall <laughs> he of Fame. is not. He, he was an All American, um, even though he set a million records, which is unfortunate for him. Uh, he has been not picked for the Boise State head coaching job. Uh, the Broncos opted to go with Oregon defensive coordinator Andy Avalos, uh, who played at Boise State, also had worked under uh, Chris Peterson and Brian Harson from 2012 to 2018. Bronco guy through and through, in hindsight, seems like an obvious choice to be the, the next head coach at Boise State, a, a school that kind of breeds great coaches. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do because everyone before him has gotten a big job. Um, mm-hmm. Harson, Peterson. Um, there was someone else Dan... in there. <sighs> yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't remember the, the Dan the, Hawkins. Yes, Hawkins. That's yeah. right. And and the list goes on. And but on. this this is interesting because we talked about brain drain and the struggle that USC had with it in the early two thousands or in the mid to late two thousands. Um, Oregon is is dealing with some brain drain, and and Mario Cristobal is going to have to find the next DC. Uh, and Andy Avalos had done a really really good job developing that defense and um, turning that secondary into something something really. Uh, defense is why they're a great team. Yeah, exactly. Well, their defense is why they keep beating USC because they. They have USC's number. I mean, Kevon Thibodeau has a lot to do with it, but um, that that defense in general has is really flummoxed USC in the past two years. So uh, that'll be uh, something that's that USC will have to see uh, face a new defensive coordinator next time around, and that Oregon it, it'll be interesting. I mean, already we've seen rumors floating around on Twitter and on message boards about Oregon uh, potentially looking at Todd Orlando because he has some history with uh, with Mario Cristobal and those guys. So. Uh, it could get a little bit interesting up in here. I very, 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 very much doubt it. Uh, but uh, but but Oregon is on the prowl for a new DC, so that'll be that'll have big ramifications for the Pac-12 and for USC as a result. Absolutely, we'll see what comes of that. But for Graham Harrell, another opportunity that doesn't nothing comes out of it. But I think the interesting thing and probably the more realistic ones are going to be NFL OC jobs. Yeah, the NFL is as of us recording right now, none of the seven jobs have been filled in the NFL. So uh, they need to hire head coaches first, and those guys are going to hire offensive coordinators, and maybe there's uh, uh, somebody who looks at Graham, gives him an interview, and and goes that way, or uh, there's going to be someone who gets hired as a trickle-down and takes another job and opens up a new one. Yeah, anything could happen. Weird stuff happens in the carousel, but I I do think that... um I do think I would expect Harold to get another year at USC. I, I I just don't think now is the time that he'd get that job, that he'd get the the um, the promotion. Coming off of this past season where there were questions about his ability to adjust to the defenses that, that he faced, and especially what happened against Oregon. So I think he is probably a year away from proving himself on that level to, to get the promotion. But you know, who knows? Crazy stuff happens. I don't know that that I would say that as a cut. I think we are critical of Graham Harrell, 
uh, I think, is the average person who d- didn't watch every single one of SC's games religiously uh, as critical of, of Graham Harrell after this season? I don't think so. I think it's a, it's a completely different perspective. And if you were interested in him last year, I think you're still going to be interested in him this year. See, I think I think the word is, I think my sense on this is that there are more people out there intrigued by him than sure. interested. And I don't think right. he improved that standing from an intriguing coaching candidate to an actual gotten hire him coaching candidate. Sure. If that makes I, sense. That's just, but that's, that's just my, fair. that's my, my right. feel like it's not. Yeah. But we'll see how things go on uh, with the NFL carousel and so much more. Uh, talk about other awards. Uh, Elijah Barry Tucker won the Morris trophy, the first Trojan since Matt Khalil in 2011. And it was a big week for Talano Hufanga, who is the co-Polynesian player of the year, along with Zach Wilson from BYU. He's the first Trojan to win it ever. Juju had lost to Sefa Lufau in 2016. Um, and then Ufanga is also a finalist for the Lot Impact Trophy, an award in which no Trojan has ever won either. So Two awards. He, two awards that, that Talanoa could, could break some barriers. Well, I mean, two awards that it's shocking that it's shocking that USC hasn't had a poly player of the year yet because USC has had some really outstanding Polynesian players come through and be runners up or or you know finalists for that award and then the law impact same USC has had finalists have, and runners up and have I told you my theory that they are like extra harsh on the that they don't want to seem like it's yeah the the, the law impact voters don't want to <laughs> this is completely it just doesn't want to be like a USC guy over here like well, we, we gotta look objective. We we can't just give it to an SC guy every year. So uh, let let's let's make sure we're objective. Well, let's I remember. Make sure we're obje- I remember Adori was a finalist, and I remember yeah. looking at it going like, okay, Adori's definitely gonna win the Impact Award, but but not the Thorpe. And then it turned out that he lost the Law Impact and then won the Thorpe. And it was just like, what even is happening? So, you know, one of those weird one of those weird things. But uh, Hafanga, we'll see about the the Law Award. I think he would be he's a he's a great candidate for it. But good on him him to get the uh, Polynesian Player of the Year award, uh, even though they, they code it for some reason. I mean, I don't know. It's their award. They get to do it, what they want with it. It's a weird season. Yeah. I, I think that if there's a time to do it. I mean, Zach uh, Wilson's deserving. Like Zach so Wilson, I'm not I'm not arguing that. It's just yeah. I, I didn't realize that that was even on yeah, He had a hell board. of a season, too. So yeah. um, I, I get it. A year like this kind of kind of makes sense. But um, yeah. Uh, but also one thing on uh, on AVT before we move on. Uh, USC should be winning the Morris Trophy more often than once every 10 years. And uh, at the very least, that's a good sign that ABT won it. But, like, that you can't go another 10 years with 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 your next your next Morris Trophy winner needs to be before Especially 2031. Especially if you don't know what the Morris Trophy is, it is the, the Pac-12 lineman as voted on by the opposite lineman. Yes. So that is a that is a, a, a an award that I think holds weight. In my mind, and uh, and yeah, USC needs to do that more often. Yes, indeed. Uh, we got some listener questions, so let's get to those and wrap this thing up. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, let's just start with a Slack message we got from Evan. Is Andrew Voorhees good? If so, how good? Uh, Probable Focus really liked him this year. Uh, unfortunately, what with the COVID and all of that kind of stuff, I wasn't able to do my rewatches as I normally would, where I'm I'm getting sort of down deep into who, which offensive linemen are performing well and which aren't. Um, I don't think he was bad. I think that uh, just on first viewing, more often, uh, the right side of the line was the one where the uh where the trouble was coming from. I don't know if that was a if that's sort of by design because ABT was on the left and Voorhees is is uh benefiting from from sort of being on that side but I think he was okay I think he probably is okay um I I don't know that I could say more than he's okay I look at offensive linemen um well, it's a unit three, right so three, it's, yeah as a unit but but I I look at players and put them into three tiers um, and this is because I don't watch them on every play. I'm I'm I, I'm not an offensive line guru that that knows all the ins and outs and all those kind of things. So I view offensive linemen as 
as either a, a liability, not a liability, or great. Like, those are the three categories. And not a liability um, could mean that they're very good. Uh, it could just be that we just don't hear from them a- as much. And it's kind of like a cornerback. Um, a cornerback who's not a liability could be really, really, really good. And unfortunately, sometimes you're just not able to tell because you just don't hear the name all the time. It's it's like a long snapper. Uh, Alicia, you and I had a conversation about Damon Johnson. <laughs> and, and you're like, he's an elite long snapper. I'm like, how do you know? Like, you never hear his name, which means obviously which he's good. good at what he does. But is he the best in the world at what he does? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't there, know. There's like 20 long slappers in, in the in the country who have a perfect record. How you, do you distinguish between all the ones that have a perfect record? Well, I certainly can't distinguish, but I know that the people who know things about long snappers say that Damon Johnson is a very, very good long snapper. That's sure. all I can say. Cool. <laughs> but good. no, uh, but I think you're right in that in that offensive linemen are either liabilities or really good, or they're somewhere in that murky in between. And I would put Voorhees this past season was probably somewhere in that he murky in between. He was definitely not a liability. He was not the one whose name, the ones whose name I was having to call out every time I watched the game. Right. Uh, so that is, the, but he's not AVT. He's not the guy who will shut down the pass rusher or be the guy that's leading the way on every blocking play, uh, every run block or whatever. So, you know, a medium. He is medium. Let's go with it. <laughs> Um, he, he's, he's a veteran presence and I think that certainly helps, uh, and not being a liability is, uh, the first main step in, in being a great player on the offensive line. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Troy Trojan, Graham Harrell. He comes off as smug and arrogant. He's no offensive mastermind as he runs a gimmicky, simplistic offense. He has managed to make two position groups irrelevant on offense tight ends, and running backs. His offensive line is in crisis mode. His quarterback has regressed. We never hear about him being a top recruiter, yet he gets interviews after head coaching interviews every year. What am I missing here? Honestly, if I was looking for a head coach, I can think of about 50 candidates before he would even come on my radar. Please sell me what I'm missing. All right, uh, thanks for the email, Troy Trojan. Uh, Good name. Um... So here's my here's my argument for for Graham Harrell. Uh, he is a, a, a sort of a, a considered an up and coming coach. He's not the finished article, but he he is from this sort of air raid tree of uh, of of sort of respected minds in that air raid offense. Um, he has recruited decently, at least because he's brought in. Um, you know, Miller Moss, he had Jake Garcia for a time before, you know, the, the, that got complicated more because they went after Miller Moss. He was able to close the deal on Jackson Dart. Uh, so I don't think recruiting quarterbacks has been an issue for Graham Harrell at this point. Uh, we know that Graham Harrell was able to talk Jude Wolf and, and, uh, Ethan Ray into coming to USC, um, or, or to, to sort of sticking it out, even though they're tight ends and, They've gotten Michael Trigg and and those guys to to be convinced to to come to USC as tight end. So, I I don't think recruiting has been a a factor negative factor for him. I do think that you can have criticisms about the offense and the uh, the simplicity of it. Um, it's it's not the kind of simplicity that has been beautiful yet because it, it has been uh it it has been a difficulty on the run side of things. Uh, to say the defense, least, yeah. yeah, to say the least, uh, defenses have been able to uh, to to get the better of of the passing side of it by going into the zone, and USC doesn't have a. Can, can, I, can I just say I think that that is completely overstated. I, I that is that was a problem early on in in 2019, but when SC was at their absolute best under Graham Harrell, which was November 2019, everyone knew what the book was. Every single defense knew how to defend. And and Keen Slovis was still throwing for 400 yards a game. Right. Yeah. No. But but I think that defensive coordinators. Ha- Iowa. Iowa knew how to defend him. Yeah. And Keen Slovis was shredding Iowa for the yeah. time he was healthy in that game. What I, what I'll say is I think defenses have been able to limit USC's offense to a degree that I think you shouldn't be at. Um, but again, remember this year, this past season, USC's scoring average went up again under Graham Harrell. So. 
I don't think the offense is is the finished article yet. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are some serious complaints you can have about the run schemes, about the run game, about the way that it's used, all of that kind of stuff. Um, As I've said before, I would love to see tight ends involved more often. There were some plays in the Alabama-Ohio State game where the tight ends were drool-worthy, but uh, I don't think that tight ends... I I think that having tight ends be active in your offense is not the end-all and be-all. I think when you have wide receivers like USC has, those are the end-all and be-all for a reason. But um, like I said, like Graham Harrell... I think, and again, you 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 got on this earlier, Michael. Like we watch every game, and we dissect it very very closely. I think that if you're not watching every game, you come away looking at Graham Harrell's offense and say, "Wow, look at how explosive and and how uh, dangerous that offense is." I I agree with the sense sentiment of like you can come up with fifty other candidates um, before Graham Harrell, but I think you gotta you gotta look at it from the perspective of. Every offensive coordinator is always fond about um, every offensive coordinator from a productive offense because every single AD wants to go out and hire the next Lincoln Riley, the next Sean McVay, the next this, the next that. Well, Cliff and, Kingsbury was a failed college head coach, right. and he got an NFL head coaching exactly. job. So, like, stuff happens. Exactly. I think that you look at you look at what college football is going in, in during this explosion of offense and. So much of it is pass related, uh, and it's lending so much to air raid concepts and everything. I mean, look at Alabama and look at their vertical passing game. Uh, it's not an air raid, but it's certainly there's a lot of um, parts of it that that make a lot of sense and and compared to what USC is, is doing in in different ways. Obviously, it's not the same offense, but right, like the vertical passing game is a thing. Um, the air raid in of itself, like. Um, can change from being vertical or actually being a bunch of short stuff. And SC kind of goes back and forth between those two. But th- there's definitely ways to fault Graham Harrell's offense 100%. Uh, I think that I think there's an identity crisis. Um, and, and this is why, you know, the idea that he comes off as smug and arrogant, I don't necessarily buy. I, I think he comes up as standing up for his offense. The problem is, and the identity crisis that USC has I fully support Graham Harrell and, and, and Clay Helton standing up and saying, we're not going to go into uh, go under center on fourth down because that's not who we are. We run an offense that is this, this, and this. Yes, I agree with you. Stand up for what your offense is. Stand up for what you believe in. Stand up for what your, your scheme is. But I think we all know this offense would be way better if they ran the ball less. And yet they don't, and I th- think that that's an, a, a an identity crisis. That I don't know if that become comes from this is SC where there's just too many talented running backs on the roster, or this is SC where this is tailback you you have to and there's this myopic view of this is SC you have to run the ball x amount of times a game in order to satisfy the football gods. I don't know what it is, but. You look back again at when SC was at their best under Graham Harrell, and it's when they knew what they were. It's when all the running backs were hurt, with the exception of Keenan Christen last November. The The book was out on USC's de- uh, offense. Defenses knew how to defend them. Everyone knew that they didn't have any running backs outside of a, a, of a true freshman running back in Christen. Everyone knew that, and they still put up a million points, a million yards, for a four or five game stretch, and looked great. And yet, you come into the season and they want to run the ball X amount of yards and all these things, and it's like you you've gone away from what your identity is for 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 no reason. And and so I think there's absolutely a million things to criticize about Graham Harrell, but but to go back to the question is, it's always people look at what could be and people imagine what things could be. If if Graham Harrell is what he was in November. Uh, then yeah, the, people are going to be intrigued about what he could do with their talent on their roster and and, and whatnot. So yeah, and, I, and molded, I, I get it, and molded in the right way. But I think right. the the biggest problem that USC has right now is the half measure, and right. it's and, a ton of half. Measures. And I and I will put that squarely on Clay Hilton. Now Graham Harrell again, I don't want to excuse him because it is his job to get better and to adjust and to right. and he's learn on the fly. In those areas he does sure. need to figure himself out. But right now. USC would be better off if they went 
all in on the air raid and stop trying to act like right. they were anything but. And if they did air raidy run plays where they're not just trying, you know, if if the idea was to catch the defense off guard, like the way the Washington State used to do it with with the, their running backs who would be, you know, would get chunk yards because you weren't expecting them. That's that's a better strategy for running the ball if you want. And, and you do need to be able to run the ball. The The problem is that USC wants to be an air raid team while also beating their chest and saying, well, we can run the ball. Like, you can't, though. So either change the scheme to the degree that you can that you can run the ball, change the way right. you practice, change all of that kind of stuff, right. or stop talking about it. Right now, USC wants to have their cake and eat it, too, and it's and the, the, the in-between is, is not working. Yeah. Final thought about the tight ends thing. I, and, and maybe I'm just clinging to this and this is just overblown. I seriously think that if Drake London wasn't on the, the roster, the tight ends would be used differently. Maybe I'm naive. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's well, hard to... We, we'd have to see when spe- he doesn't have Drake London. I don't know that he's going to get an opportunity to not have Drake London speaking on, the, of on half, roster. Speaking of half measures, the tight ends are the biggest victims of the whole half measure thing. Because the tight ends are used as though they were sort of jumbo tight ends. And none of them are. So then when they're asked to be these blocking specialists that none of them are, by the way... Eric Cromenhook is the closest thing you have to it, and he's, you know, put up against guys that he can't possibly block. Um, you're setting them all up for failure. I'm just, I, I wish that USC would stop setting certain position groups up for failure. And I agree with Troy Trojan here in that the tight ends and the running backs, I don't know that we can, I'd call them irrelevant, but I think those position groups are being set up for failure in a way that uh, that, that they shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, it's good email we got from Brian. Now that Texas has hired Sark, do you think Alabama will hire Clay Helton to be their offensive coordinator? Just help, just hoping, right? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I know don't. this is an, I know this is a, this is a, you know, it's a rhetorical question, but I do want to put out there that this is why when we talk about the hiring of Clay Helton at USC, why I think the mistake goes back all the way to the beginning, because. If Clay Helton is ultimately, uh, you know, let go from USC, he will not end up on Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, he will not be end up on Nick Saban's staff as an offensive coordinator. And that's because he was never an elite offensive coordinator to begin with. And I mean, there's Butch a lot of Jones problems. Jones is on that payroll. I mean, I think Butch Jones was probably elite for longer than Clay Helton ever was. Mm. Not as a head coach, but... Well, maybe more sought after coming out of Cincinnati, sure, because you know, Clay Elton never had that opportunity. You know what you do? You bring in, and, and I say this with all due respect, you bring in Clay Elton to be your tight ends coach and be your rah-rah uh, fatherly figure on your staff. But I don't think you bring in Clay Elton to design your offense the way that no. you bring in Steve Sarkeesian or Lane Kiffin to do it. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would uh, I would agree with that. Uh, we did get a Slack message from SJ in Santa Barbara would you hire Tom Herman as SC's offensive coordinator? Uh, you know Saban would. I, I guess this is in See, the, the case of if Graham Harrell wasn't there. It, let's say Graham Harrell gets a job yeah. somewhere else. It, okay, I actually don't think it would be the worst idea ever, except for the whole, like, it would never, ever, 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 ever happen. I don't think. Like like the whole, like, um, are you saying that, that Clay wouldn't bring in a bigger fish underneath him? No, I think if you're Tom Herman, you sit back and enjoy your your millions while not having to go If you're Tom work. Herman, you absolutely go for that Alabama job. Yeah, you go for the uh, absolutely you go for the Alabama job. I don't think you go for the USC job unless you think to yourself, well this is my rehabilitation and when when Clay gets the axe, I get to be the white knight and take take over or whatever. I don't know. I think there's a lot of go, of things going in there, but Tom Herman is the profile of offensive coordinator that I would be looking for. That's the guy that that's the the, the Tom Herman is what I'm talking about when I say that Tom Herman is what Clay Hilton was was never was not. Right. Offensive guru that got Who an got opportunity overpromoted yeah. to head coach and and it didn't work out for him. But that's that's the guy that Saban rehabilitated. I'm not convinced that Tom Herman's not a good head coach. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if just Texas is just not a place to. Mm. If Texas just has so many toxic issues, which yeah. which leads to Sark, I, I 
I'm super pumped for Sark to get that 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 job. But at, Texas, at Texas, I, I uh, Texas is too high of. I wouldn't Texas have wanted him to go to Texas. Risk. Yeah, yeah. Te- Texas is high risk, um, high reward. Obviously, if you can get everything to go, but I. I fully expect that Sark's tenure at Texas is going to look a lot like Tom Herman's. I agree. I, I think that his offense might be more inclined to to be a little bit more forward thinking, just because we we've seen that that Tom Herman's offense um, is very good. Um, I don't think it's as good as Sark's offense at this point in time, but I don't know. I, I think that the the thing is still there. It's going to at best. They're they're um they're one B behind Oklahoma. Okay, but here's the thing, and and this is where this is the problem with all of these evaluations. Sark Sark's offense is great when he has an offensive line, and he has that at Alabama, and he didn't have that in Atlanta, and he didn't have that at USC for the most part. Like Sark's offense needs that piece to come together, and that is the thing that I will be curious of what Sark has picked up from Saban as far as developing the whole team to be able to to thrive the way that they do at Alabama. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.